Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We're going to be continuing our series today through the book of James, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 today. So you guys can start turning there now, get yourselves ready. We're also going to have all the verses up on the screen as well as the points, so if you want to follow along that way, that's, that's acceptable also. And then also in the YouVersion Bible app, if you go to the events tab, you can pull up all of the verses there and all the points and follow along real simply in, in that format also. So just as a reminder, um, we're at James 3, verses 13 through 18, which means that we're a little bit over halfway through the book of James at this point. So we've been in this series for couple months now. Um, We've been studying a lot, and I know that as we go through a lot of verses and dig into things over a several month period, it can be really hard to keep track of what we've already heard, what we've already learned, and what we've already studied. So a little thing that I think is really helpful is a a little tip or trick that um, the the waking group that I'm a part of that we like to do. We have like a a theme phrase that we like to think about that helps us just kind of keep track of the glue that binds all of James together. And this is kind of just, if you haven't been a part of the series, if you're just visiting for the first time this week, if you keep this in mind, it'll help you have the right perspective about what we're talking about. So if you think about it, the glue that binds James together from chapter one all the way to the end is a phrase that I I like to say, living a righteous and holy life no matter what we face. Living a righteous and holy life no matter what we face. That's, that's what James is talking about. Every single week, he talks about different things, different aspects of things, but that's really at the core of what he's discussing. So if you keep that in mind, that'll help you kind of have the right mindset about what it is that we're reading. Because um, James is going to continue this theme today when he's calling believers to behave wisely. That's what we're going to be digging into. James is going to specifically challenge the church today, both back in his time and us right now in our, our current present time, he's going to challenge us by asking a question. And that question is going to be, who is wise among you? That's going to be the title of today's message. Who is wise among you? So what I want us to do to get us started is let's go ahead and read all of these verses. Um, We're going to read verses 13 through 18, and we're going to see what we can learn. We're going to start to pick it apart. So it says, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so that's our text for today. This is what we're going to be studying together. And James starts off, he begins with, who is wise and understanding among you? This is kind of a baited baited question that James is giving. Um, Jesus, sorry, James knows that there's people in the church 
who are claiming to be wise at this period. And they're, they're making this claim that they're wise, but they're actually not. Really, they are just wise in the things of the world. But they're claiming that they're spiritually wise, that they have wisdom that's, that's from God. And this is causing a lot of problems in the church. Um, I want to dig into that, though, a little bit. I want to I kind of talk about that, why this is such a big deal. And I want to give you guys some background context on what is happening in this time period of history. Because it's going to be super important for us to actually grasp what it is that James is getting at and how we're going to apply it in our own lives. So a little background and context on this. Um, James is writing this, this letter, or what we call a, the book of James. He's writing this a very long time ago, very early in the beginning of the church. So the church had just started off. This is likely written between, most scholars think, 46 and 49 AD. So this is like one of the first, if not the first, writing from the New Testament that we have, the oldest one. And it's very practical. It's very useful. Um, but it's important for us to understand that because it's so early on in, in the beginning of Christian living and Christian faith and following Jesus, it's so early in that, that it's still really not its own thing. Christianity is not really separated off from Judaism yet. At this time in history, people look at Judaism and they see the Christians just sort of as like a little sect of Judaism. They just see it as like the same thing that the Jewish people believe, but just with a, a slight variation or twist. So most of people in the culture didn't see Christians and, and Jews as really different yet. So that's important for us to understand because at this period, you have the church who has started in Jerusalem. The disciples begin to pour out and people come to know Jesus. And then the church slowly grows primarily in Jewish communities and then out to the Gentiles or people who aren't Jewish. But at this point, it's, it's mostly Jewish people. And at this time, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of volatile things taking place in history. If you think back to Jesus's time, when Jesus was, was walking around and doing his ministry, there was already a lot of conflict, people upset with the Romans, people upset with the Pharisees. There was already trouble brewing. And now, 20, 30, 40 years removed from Jesus ascending to heaven, things have just continued to get worse and worse and worse. So what we're looking at here is this very volatile time for social and economic reasons. So I want to explain some of that. This is happening because on one side, you have the Romans who control the empire, who control all these cities, the major cities where commerce is done. And these, uh, these Roman leaders and officials get to say what's going to happen in, in their different regions. And what they were doing is making life very hard for people who believed and had faith, so the Jewish people as well as Christians. And they were also in control of the finances of the different areas. And they were taxing people extremely heavily, like really, really heavily. So what this was causing is that the people who were really wealthy, it wasn't, it wasn't the worst thing for them. They could continue to survive. But the poor, the people who are mostly farmers, the people who lived outside of the cities, who are still in these regions, it was killing them. They could not afford to pay the taxes. They were really feeling the weight and the pressure of the Roman Empire on them. And it was frustrating to them and angering to them that they, they didn't like it at all. And to make matters worse, those wealthy, rich people who were in the cities, they were called the aristocrats or aristocracy. They were using their finances, the, their wealth, 
to leverage power. So they're connecting with these Roman officials to make things better for them, but it's not really helping the, the poor and the people on the outskirts. And what they were doing is, what they would see is the taxes are super high. These people can't, can't pay these taxes. So these um, aristocrat people with a lot of money and wealth would say, hey, I'll buy your land from you so that you can pay your taxes. And they would buy it for cheap prices. They wouldn't do it in a fair manner so that these people wouldn't be thrown in jails. And then they would hire them to work the land that was previously theirs. And then they would push the, the Roman officials, hey, you guys should make these taxes heavier here. You should really go after these people. They're not paying their, their, their way. And they would. And then it would make things harder. So then these these aristocrats would continue to press harder on these, these people, and it was causing families to have to break up because the land wasn't able to produce enough money for a full family to be taken care of. So families were breaking up, and some would stay on the land to try to keep it. It was their ancestral heritage. And then brothers and sisters, they would go off, and they would try to become merchants and traders in the cities just to try to survive. So people are really upset. They're really struggling with these aristocrats doing this, and they're really frustrated and angry. They're being taken advantage of. These aristocrats, when the people would rebel, they'd take them to court, have them thrown in jails. They do all this stuff to them. So that's what's happening on one side. Then you have on the other side, you have a group of people called the zealots. So the zealots, there's several different groups, lots of them, but the zealots were primarily made up of the poor, the poorer groups of people. And these zealots were ultimately Jewish revolutionaries. This is what they had in their mind. They want to have a revolution. They don't want to be under the thumb of these different aristocrats. They don't want to be dealing with the Roman Empire at all. They're they're sick and tired of it. So what they were doing is they were trying to rally people around them to stir up revolution. And what they were doing is causing a whole lot of problems. In the midst of all of this, these zealots are in the churches because they're claiming to be a part of these faith. They're, they want to follow Jesus too, to a degree. So they're in churches. They're, they're all around in various parts of the Roman Empire. And they're claiming that they are religious and wise. They're claiming, hey, we're, we're worthy of being called leaders. We have wisdom on how to go about bringing the things of God, how to, how to bring forth good things in the world. But what they were stirring up was contempt and violence. Their rhetoric was really just aimed at making people get more and more stirred up and angry at the aristocrats and at the people who, rightfully so, they they should be angry about it because they were being mistreated and taken advantage of. But what is being pushed is that they should go out of their way to rebel against these people. And it was getting really, really bad, all the way to the point of these zealot groups, as they were hearing about aristocrats who were trying to push people out of their property or um, a lot of times these different aristocrats would have people work for a long period of time, and then they wouldn't pay them after they did their work. And they would hear about this, these different groups, and they actually started these little assassin squads. And they started going around in these groups. They'd find out about these aristocrats, and they would say, we're going to go after them because they're, they're not good. And they would go murder these people, and they would claim that they were doing that murdering in the holiness of God, that it was actually being done and blessed by God. Because these are unrighteous enemies. They are the kingdom of God. They're, they're in the good side. And this is what they were telling people. And this is going on inside of the church. All of this rhetoric, all of this stuff. So what these people are doing, if you just boil it down very, very simply, is these people are trying to force 
a, a, a product. They're trying to force righteousness in what they think is right. So as they're doing all of this, James is addressing those people in the church who are claiming to be wise in faith. That's what's going on. He's talking to, to everybody, but these people especially when he's asking this question. So I want to read with you guys once, once more through. We're going to read verses 13 through 17 with all of this context in mind. And I want you to see how it comes across a little bit differently now. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So with this context in mind and kind of digging into this now, I'm going to share with you our first point, and we're going to start to break this down together. Point number one, the wisdom of God doesn't look like the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of God doesn't look like the wisdom of the world. So just a a quick reminder, when we use this word wisdom, It has a specific meaning. In the New Testament, it means something special. It's a little different than what comes to our mind just in our own modern world. This word wisdom doesn't mean just knowledge or understanding. That's why at the very beginning, you will have noticed he says, who is wise and understanding among you? This is two separate things in James' mind. Wisdom requires some knowledge and, and does include knowledge and understanding, and we should want that. But wisdom, when we're talking about it, it's something specific. And what it is in the New Testament when it's talking about wisdom, what that means is a quality or skill that is very high being implemented. So it's, it's action. Wisdom is activity. So specifically when we're talking about the wisdom of God, we're saying faith that's being put into action, it's being done skillfully and with very high quality, the, the, the things that we're, we're producing. That's wisdom. So if you have wisdom, your life is producing something very good in faith. But if you have the wisdom of the world, what you're producing is just the things of the world, the quality of the things of the world. So James is trying to paint this picture for people of, hey, what kind of wisdom do you have? Who is wise among you? Who actually has wisdom? And I know that when we say this point, the wisdom of God doesn't look like the wisdom of the world, it seems like that's just so simplistic. Seems like that's so like, yeah, obviously that is the case. But we need to kind of dig into that and pause because this is extremely important to recognize the legitimate difference according to Scripture. It's really, really easy for us to miss how different these things are and be misled and be actually living a life of worldly wisdom. That's the point of us slowing down here. Want us to look again at what he says in verse 14. He said, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. It's easy to read that and be like, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Eh, No, I don't think that really describes me and just move on. But I would say, not so fast. Let's slow down and actually look at what these words mean. 
because it hits a little bit closer to home than you might think. Um, this word, bitter jealousy, it's, a, it's an interesting translation, but that word bitter actually means sharp or pointed. And this word jealousy is, is, in our context, when we hear the word jealous, we just think of it as like one kind of way. We think of it as like envious. It's just a synonym for envy. But that's not what the word is here. The, the root of this word in Greek is the same word that zealot comes from. It's zelon. So what's interesting is he's making a nod to whoever has this sharp, bitter zealousness or passion against others. Passion is a good word, I think, for us to use in this context because we can, you qualify what kind of passion you have by the words that come before it. So I can say, I hate this with a passion, and that makes sense. Or I can say, oh, I'm so passionate about my wife, and we understand what that means. This is, that's a good way to think of this word, the way it's actually being used. If you have sharp, pointed passion against others and selfish ambition in your heart, that word selfish ambition pretty much means what it is. It's self-seeking. That's the idea. So serving yourself with your own self in mind, what benefits you, that's the idea behind it. If you have that in your heart, don't boast or don't lie that you have wisdom. That's what he's saying. Don't, te- don't tell a lie and claim that you have wisdom because that's not the case. That's what James is saying. These people, these different groups, were trying to, to force righteousness of God by any means possible. And they were doing it through this sharp, pointed passion, this anger, this aggressive, divisive behavior. And they're doing it with selfish motives in mind. What's benefiting solely them? What makes them look good? What makes them feel good? Like they're on a pedestal. And James is saying, you can't do that. That is not how wisdom is lived out. That's not how you produce the quality and the skillfulness of the kingdom of God, of of righteousness, of the good things that God has for us. It doesn't come that way. That's why he says in verse 15, I'll read it again for us, says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's some pretty heavy language. That's, that's got a lot of weight to it. Um, what James is saying is that this wisdom that you guys have, if, you, if you're walking in that, if that describes you, this type of life that you're putting out, if that's, if that's the type of groups that you're engaging with, If that describes you, you need to understand that that wisdom is of the world, so of of the earth, just the things that are naturally that would come about on the earth. Two, it's of our fleshly desires, so our, our corrupt inner nature. And then thirdly, in a very scary way, of demonic influence. These people who think they're being led by God are actually being influenced by the demonic in their actions. That's what James is saying in this short piece here. So remember that context that that we talked about, the context that all of this is being talked about in. You have these different factions and groups, the aristocrats on one side who think they're justified because they're doing this stuff in a legal means. So they're not doing anything wrong. They're just using the, the, the typical governmental structure of the world to get ahead. What's wrong with that? And they're in these churches. They're sometimes coming in as well. And they're being treated differently because of their their high value. Then you have these factions and groups of zealots on the other side, stirring up this violence and this hatred. 
You see the speech on both sides, the rhetoric just getting worse and worse and worse. One group saying, these people are evil and horrible. And the other group saying, oh, these people, we can take advantage of them. Look, we're going to support them anyways by, by caring for them, by hiring them on. We'll, 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 we'll hire these people and they'll work for us. Both groups think that they're good. Both groups' speech is, is warped and twisted. And they have these harsh actions towards one another, throwing people in court, taking them to prison, taking advantage of them literally murdering people, claiming that that's okay, rioting, destroying property, talking hatefully about their brother and sister, fellow people who are created in the image of God. That's what they were doing. And if if you remember that context, I think it's, at least it is for me, it's so easy to see that this is not that different from the world that we live in right now. This is not very far off from where the things that we see going on around us today. The temptations that these people had to take advantage of others. The temptations that these zealots had to fight back and rebel in divisive, angry, aggressive, harsh ways. Those are the same temptations we have. Those are the same things that we deal with, that we have to fight back. We're dealing with the same things. And much like then, the same time that James is writing and dealing with all these things, these issues that are brewing up inside of the church, much like back then, we too often align and speak with worldly wisdom. We align ourselves with groups that are very worldly. They're very focused with just the things that are happening in the world. They're not really prioritized with what is of the kingdom of God. We'll align with those groups and we'll speak like those groups. We get engaged with people around us and we talk like the people of the world do, like the people who we claim are our enemies speak. We go about trying to bring change, forcing it the same way that the rest of the world does it. Yet we think that we're justified in the middle of it. What we wind up doing is turning the kingdom of God into the kingdom of man. That's what was happening here. This is what James is so worried about is that the kingdom of God, the church, the people of the church, the assembly of the people of Jesus are supposed to come together and look different than the people of the world. And he's concerned that the people in the church are missing that and they're going about doing things in the wisdom or the quality of the way of the world and they're corrupting the church. They're polluting it with the kingdom of man and they're turning it into garbage which is a shame. And very often we do this same exact thing, just like they did. We struggle with this. We wind up undermining the truth that we speak because we we may know scripture super well. We may have understanding about what the word says. We might have an idea of what true righteousness is, but we wind up undermining that truth because the way we go about sharing it is in a divisive, harsh, angry nature. And the people we align with are doing it in this way. And it undermines the truth. It just it discredits it. And that's a shame. On top of that, we often, just like they were, we justify our worldly behavior by claiming that we have God's moral high ground. We claim, oh, I know what's righteous. I know what's true. Look how far off these people are. They don't, they don't, they don't know what the Bible says. Look how disgusting the way these people live. Oh man, we wish God would take it over. This is why we got to go out and fight them. This is why I got to write all these things on Facebook and be aggressive and angry at these people because I got to tell them the truth. That's not how this should be. 
That's not how we should behave. That is not the wisdom that comes down from God. That's the wisdom of the world. Look again at what verse 16 says. It says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Look around you today. Does that sound similar to what we see constantly around us, even in our own circles? Bitter jealousy, that same idea of sharp, pointed passion against. He says that we're going to have these things. There's going to be every vile practice, disorder. That word disorder means disruption and insurrection. Vile practice, it sounds really heavy, and it is, but really it just boils down to worthless, empty, bad, evil things. It could be anything. He's saying where the wisdom of the world is at play, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom comes from, it leads to that. If you see that in your life, around you, in the people that you're engaging with, you need to be concerned. Let that be a warning to us. We need to do what James says back in chapter 1, verse 5, when he says that we need to ask God for his wisdom. If we ask God for, for wisdom, it says that he will give it generously, without reproach. That's what we should be doing, regularly, regularly asking God to give us wisdom and, and understanding in these things so that we can actually put these skills and, and things into practice, do them. It's only through God, only through him and only from him that we can receive this wisdom and put it into application. You can't do it on your own. You can't make it happen. Just like these people, they're trying to force it. They're trying to make righteousness happen. They're trying to force the kingdom of God on their world through their own ways. You can't do that. It does not work. That's what we're supposed to be reminded of and and shown back in chapter 1 as well. I want us to actually go back here and read this. Um, Chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Read and, and listen to this. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. He says that every good and every perfect gift is from above. And I don't want us to miss really what's going on in that phrase. When he says good, he means everything excellent, everything pure, everything good. And then when he says every perfect, that word actually means complete. The idea of it is maturity and growth. So he's saying every good, excellent thing, every gift of maturity and growth, it's from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And that's an important phrase because the phrase coming down, when he uses that there, it's the same language described for rain, how rain falls. You can't make the rain fall. You have no opportunity to just force it to happen. You can't force it. You can't force it to stop. The rain falls when it falls and it stops when it stops. And the point of what James is trying to get across back there is that 
this, these good gifts, these gifts of growth and maturity, wisdom being one of those beautiful things, one of those good gifts, it comes down from the Father of lights. You can't go get it. You have to ask him for it, and he has to give it to you if you want it. You cannot force it. You can't make it happen on your own. And that's why he says, if you're asking for these things, your life should look different. And that's what he's describing in verse 17, back in uh, our chapter 3 here. Read that with me once more. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Each of these things aren't just qualities. They're things that are being put into action. That's what he's talking about. That's the wisdom that comes down from above. These are the things that are supposed to mark the life of a real disciple of Jesus, a real follower of Jesus. It's those things. When you look at your life, if you're here today and you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be his disciple. I want to be his servant. If that's you, then these things, these specific qualities should mark your life. The way that you go out, the way that you engage with people, the way that you talk with people, the things that that you do should be marked by those qualities. When we're judging what it is that we do and, and who it is that we're getting involved with and spending time with, we need to have that list of qualities in mind, those lists of what is produced in, in our head. Because that's how we're going to know whether what we're getting engaged in is truly of God or whether it's just of the world. So that's why our point of the wisdom of God doesn't look like the wisdom of the world is so important for us to actually think through. The wisdom of God doesn't look like the wisdom of the world. So we get ready to prepare to close out our study. We're going to have one more point. It's just going to be short and based on this last verse, verse 18, where it says, A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Point two, last point. Righteous gain is never made through aggressive, sharp, divisive behavior. Righteous gain is never made through aggressive, sharp, divisive behavior. We have to ask God for wisdom. And as he gives it to us, we have to put it into action, put it into practice. That's where wisdom becomes real, where you actually have it, because you're producing quality and skill in following Jesus not just knowledge. And that pursuit of doing those things will produce a harvest of righteousness or fruit. That's the word that's actually there. Fruit of righteousness. The idea is is gain. So you're, you're gaining righteousness. And to quickly sum up what that word righteousness means, it's, it's moral good and justification. So this is both for ourselves and outside of us. This is both ourselves living actually morally right according to God and what he's commanded, but also to produce justification between us and God as we stand before him and right standing because of what Jesus has done on the cross and us actually serving Jesus and sacrificing ourselves, dying to self to live for him, as well as going out into the world and seeking his name to be shown for the gospel to go out, for the kingdom of God to continue to grow. That justification in other people's lives 
That only happens, that harvest of righteousness only happens when it's being sown in peace. And that's going to happen very differently than the world is going to say it's going to happen. That's a, a hard thing to grasp. A harvest of righteousness then means inward and outward spiritual impact. That's the idea. And this is such a challenging verse for me. Honestly, this whole entire section, thinking of it in context, has, is great. And as I studied it, it was very impactful to me. And, and it just got me really thinking a lot, both about what's been said before in James, as well as what is being said here. But this last verse is the thing for me that I've just been struggling with all week. For myself personally, this is the thing that's the hardest to actually deal with. Um, and the reason that is, is because it's going to affect everything about me. This idea of a harvest of righteousness being sown, or the idea is that the word sown means scattered. You're, you're doing something. You're trying to, to see that harvest grow. For a harvest of righteousness to happen, it, it's only going to be sown in peace by those who make peace. That's going to affect my words that come out of my mouth, both out in the world as well as with the people in the body of Christ, the church. And it's also going to affect my actions, the, my behavior, the way I go about doing things in my, in my life. And when I think about that, it's really hard because I struggle a lot with that. I'm not the most soft, gentle guy. I don't, when I talk and have conversations with people, I, I think in a very logical, straight to the point kind of way. And I speak like that. And oftentimes that comes across very harsh. It's not really with peace in mind. So the words that I speak are not being done in a peaceful way oftentimes. And I have to check myself based on the scripture. I have to ask, am I actually doing this? And for me, as, as I read this, I need to understand that this text of scripture is, is so practical and so relatable. It's not something that I just read and hear and we sit here together and we say, oh, that's good. Learn some cool history there. And then we walk out and we don't do anything. This text requires practical action. And if we don't, if we ignore it, then we're just going to be walking in the wisdom of the world. I think for me, this is a really hard, sobering thing. My goal from studying this and, and knowing this, this truth, and from trying to evaluate, evaluate my life in light of it, my goal is that I would, I would seriously consider everything that I'm doing in my life. Every conversation that I have, is it being done in peace to make peace? Every activity I engage in, is this actually with people as, as well as just personally my actions, is it going to be done in peace to make peace? I have to evaluate that, and that's the questions that I'm really asking myself. And as I test my life against these verses, as I allow it to check me, as I do that, what I have to do, and this is another very hard part, I have to drop my excuses. I have to stop justifying why it's okay that I do what I do. Well, truth is truth, so it's okay. It's biblical. Not necessarily. It doesn't work like that. Well, it's okay to be in this group because they're, they're aligned morally. This is what's actually good. So it's going to produce good things. Not according to this. I have to drop my excuses and all of the justifications that I make. And I have to come to the word, not with my culture in my head, not with 
the things that I engage with in my mind, not with the podcasts I listen to, the news that I read in my head. I have to come to this scripture with a neutral mind, actually asking, God, am I doing this or am I not? And then as I find out the answers to that, and this is where I am at today, I have to repent. If I don't repent, if I don't actively ask God for forgiveness for doing this stuff a different way and ask him, Lord, would you please show me, give me that wisdom to do this different and then walk differently after that repentance. If I don't do that, then just realizing that I'm not measuring up doesn't matter. Repentance has to happen too. And then after that repentance, that's when I can be confident that as I walk forward, the wisdom, the things that I'm doing in my life, the quality of what I'm producing in my life is actually going to produce good fruit. That's what we all want as followers of Jesus, to produce good fruit. Each of us wants to produce fruit that honors God. But that's only possible if you're doing it in the wisdom that came down from him, that he equipped you with to be able to act and and walk these things out. And it's only done if you repent from what you were doing before. That's the challenge that I'm working through today. And it's my hope that you guys would do the same, that we would do this together as a church, that we would all examine our lives in light of this, and that we would move forward as a church, walking in true wisdom and actually walking where there will be a harvest of righteousness on the other side, within the body and outside the body. That is my hope and my prayer as we go forward. But that decision is for you to make. But if we do that, we can be confident that we are actually on track to being truly wise people. When that question comes up in the future of who is wise and understanding among you, when we would raise our hand, it would be true. So that's my prayer. That's what I'm going to be doing, and that's what I encourage you guys to do um, as we go out into this week. And uh, I hope that this, these truths resonate in your guys' heart. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.